Hello and welcome to another edition of the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti, and with me is Jared Riddick. We are on part three of our Gospel to the Lamanites series from President Ray Pratt, who was mission president in Mexico at the time in 1913 that this was published in the Improvement Era. In part three, I guess we're going to start off with the theme of hope for the Lamanites almost gone. Yeah, start off with a nice uplifting theme. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he really lays into it here. He has a lot of anger and animosity towards the Roman Catholic Church. Yes. Um, and and the Spanish conquerors for bringing yeah. that. Yeah, and he has, he has a lot of resentment there, and he describes what he says is corruption, uh, providing a lot of anecdotal accounts of, of corruption among the, among the church. One of, the things I, one of the things I wanted to say is there were very good people there as well from the beginning where you have Bartomeu de las Casas and others who are trying to prevent the unethical and unri- unrighteous, what well, you see, unrighteous treatment of the natives there. And so his attitude towards the Catholic Church is, is very indicative of a, the Latter-day Saint attitude towards the church in general at this time. Elder Talmadge will be saying the same things in the Great Apostasy and Jesus the Christ. We were dependent on a lot of a lot of very polemical Protestant scholarship. That's what we largely depended on for our view of uh, Christian history to that point. And it colored our our interactions and our view with them. And uh, relationships with the Catholic Church now is much, much better. Well, it's improved than it for sure. once was. But in, in I don't want to say in defense of those people, the atrocities that had taken place were much more present to them. They were. And they I were. think that in the spirit of forgiveness, we all want to move on from we do. rough histories. And so I think that's that's feeding the the sentiment that we see today between our church and the Catholic Church. But certainly at the time there were there were things to be upset about. Mm-hmm. The, the Inquisition was nothing fantastic. It was not. And he goes on about the Inquisition specifically. Uh, oh yeah, he's got some great lines. <laughs> he goes the Inquisition. <laughs> and I read. I want to read this. Yes. The Inquisition, the abominable scheme that has done more to retard human progress than any other ever inspired by the devil and put into practice by its agents here on earth was brought to bear in all its horrors to force the conversions of the conquered race. Yeah. He just, and that, it, it gets more intense from there. Well, he, he also talks about the Spanish conquerors in, in, in these conquests, how they went forth with the sword in one hand and the cross in the other, and they considered that they were doing God's will by waging a holy war as well as a war of conquest. I think it's interesting. We, uh, frankly, the, the Spanish attentions turned towards the new world is really the reasons... I think we didn't see more crusades happening in Europe at that time as they turned their fanatical devotion towards the new world and towards peoples they could conquer that they hadn't been at war with for so long. Right. They saw a new field. I think they may have seen what they considered an easier target mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of very strong language. In fact, again, we, we want to reiterate anybody that has uh, strong feelings towards the Catholic Church Listener discretion is advised, <laughs> but um, and remember, this was being written more than a century ago, right? And there is a little bit of assertion here of some Peruvian narratives in South American talking that that we Among hadn't seen Inca, before. Yeah, there was just some some stuff that he he kind of brings in, and this again, I think, talks a, a little bit to the hemispheric model mm-hmm. that, that they seem to espouse at the time. Yeah, and one of the things, he's, he brings about population numbers a lot in here, and he did it in the last part as well. Um, I think, frankly, that those numbers are actually low oh, now, okay. that, that there were more, even more people than we thought, and that's being 
confirmed now by more archaeology and things like LIDAR that there was a lot more higher numbers. Hmm. The, the diseases did a lot more damage than we thought. Well, this also, we should probably say, is the crest of the, what we might call the the doom and gloom or the difficulties that the people are facing. And this is where he starts to introduce the idea that there is redemption through the gospel and that Mm -hmm. that's part of the prophecies of the Book of Mormon. So we're going to start seeing that certainly more in the next part. Uh, But please hang on to your hats, as they used to say. This, uh, This part three is loaded with some very strong language, but some very interesting perspectives on the history and the Book of Mormon. Happy listening. The Gospel to the Lamanites by President Ray L. Pratt in the Improvement Era, May 1913. Hope for the Lamanites almost gone. The Spanish conquerors, in their conquests, went forth with the sword in one hand and the cross in the other, and they considered that they were doing God's will by waging a holy war as well as a war of conquest. They were as zealous to convert the subjects of the empires they encountered to the Catholic Church as they were to make them political subjects of their king. Their right to conquest might be said to have been granted to them by the Holy See, and with it came the obligation in their minds to save the souls of those conquered from eternal perdition by bringing them into the church, whether by fair means or foul. The Inquisition, the abominable scheme that has done more to retard human progress than any other ever inspired by the devil, and put into practice by his agents here on earth, was brought to bear in all its horrors to force the conversion of the conquered race. Thousands of those of spirit met with the most horrible deaths at the hands of their cruel torturers, rather than accept their own religion and accept that of their hated conquerors. But the pressure brought to bear was too great for the nation in general, and resulted in their conversion, which, though compulsory, has been nonetheless lasting, For even to this day, the power of the Catholic Church is almost supreme in the hearts of the people that received it under the iron pressure of the Spanish conquerors. With their lands in the hands of the rich, privileged class, descendants of the adventurous Spanish conquerors, and their souls and consciences in the hands and at the mercy of that great and abominable church, the horror of all the earth, seen and spoken of by Nephi, the Lamanites of today are indeed in a pitiable condition. Robbed and exploited and made slaves of by the former, they are nonetheless robbed and exploited by the latter. Not an ordinance nor a rite of their religion is administered unto them without they pay the officiating priest for the performance of it. The priest will hold over them the horrors of the awful hell into which their children will be hurled unless they are baptized, but will persistently refuse to perform the ordinances unless the baptismal fee is forthcoming, even from the poorest and most humble. The same may be said of marriage and of the performance of the last sad rites for their dead. I have known priests to refuse a resting place in the burying grounds of the church, outside of which no true Catholic would think of burying his dead, to those whose relatives could not raise the money necessary to pay the priest for performing the rites of the burial. The people are taught to be doubly sinners by being made to believe that if they can only get the necessary money together to pay the priest, there is no sin for which they cannot obtain forgiveness and that too, no matter how many times it may be repeated. They are taught to make great pilgrimages to little chapels and churches away off in remote parts of the country, where some saint is supposed to have performed some miracle, or where the Savior is supposed to be buried, 
and that by so doing they gain divine favor and get absolution from all their sins, past, present, and future, provided they take enough money and candles along with them as offerings to the saint or savior. I have seen whole families go hundreds of miles, barefooted and in rags, carrying costly wax candles, sometimes weighing eight or ten pounds, and which in many cases represent the value of all their earthly belongings that were sold before they left home to buy these same candles to burn at the shrine of the saints in whose honor they are making the pilgrimage. The candles are lighted at the shrines, all right, but trust to the priest in charge of the church to see to it that they are not burned up there because wax is costly and valuable, and these candles may be sold to other pilgrims who may want divine favor, and the coffers of the priests may be fuller because of the oft-repeated selling of the same candle. All of these are only means by which the church drags out the poor victims, what the landlords have not been able to squeeze out of them, and as a result, they are a people so bowed down, so trodden upon, and so smitten by the Gentiles, that they have almost ceased to hope. This brief description of conditions that have existed and that do now exist in Mexico may be said to describe very well conditions throughout all Latin America. Scattered and smitten by the Gentiles History records that at the beginning of the conquest of the proud Incas of Peru by the Spaniards under Pizarro, they numbered six millions, and that fifty years after the conquest there had perished, according to a canon gotten up by the order of Philip II in the year 1580, more than two million of the Indians of that empire. When Peru gained her independence, says a reliable historian, she had lost nine-tenths of her inhabitants of the six million that she had at the coming of the Spaniards. According to a census taken at the order of Viceroy Gilles Ilamos in the year 1795, there only remained 608,899. The kingdoms of Guatemala, comprising most of what is now known as Central America, had a population at the coming of the Spaniards of over three million of people, and according to a census taken in the year 1810, there only remained of the native population 646,076 souls. It is said by good authority, Antonio Bartes Paraguay, that at the end of the 18th century, the native people of the countries of America that had been conquered by Spain had been reduced to one-tenth their number at the coming of the Spanish conquerors. The Lamanites were the kings and rulers of the whole of the Americas, but oh, how literally have they been scattered and smitten by the Gentiles. Today they are a smitten and an orphan people counted as naught by the Gentiles, brought so low that they have even forgot their past glories, a race without spirit because they have lost all hope. Yes, you might say, even their desires for liberty. Utterly crushed and broken in spirit in utter abandon, they have given themselves up to die rather than live. If they only could, but alas, death, it seems, could not come to relieve them of their terrible afflictions so they have carried them with them through near four long centuries of agonies. It is said of the Arab that when he discovers that his faithful camel that has carried him across the desert has lost its strength and that its last hour has come, he draws from his belt his long dagger and drives it into the heart of his faithful beast as a reward for its faithful services. But in America there is another custom. When the tired horse cannot take another step over the parched and sandy desert, he is left behind abandoned in that horrible solitude, to die of hunger and thirst, with the hungry vultures swishing over his head, scarce waiting till life is extinct to begin their horrid repast. 
Such has been the fate of the Indian. As a race, he has had no dagger thrust to end his suffering and misery, but instead four long centuries of heartless persecution and degradation at the hands of his enemies, until now, reduced to one-tenth of what he was at the coming of the Gentiles to smite him. He is abandoned by them, as it were, to die of hunger and thirst and be devoured by vultures. Could we wish for a more literal fulfillment of prophecy? Are there any yet who could wish to see this people brought to a lower level, or see them reduced to a smaller remnant of the great people they once were, or see them more hated, stripped and peeled, and crushed by the Gentiles than they have been, and in reality are, even till this day? As for me, I answer no. But my constant prayer to the Lord is that he will hasten the day when these conditions shall cease, and when the glorious restoration and redemption promised this people shall come. Redemption foretold. From a natural point of view, it would seem that it is the fate of the Indian as a race to be wiped out and become extinct. And such would be the case should conditions continue with them much longer, as they have existed since the coming of the Gentiles among them. With nine-tenths of them gone in less than four centuries, it is easy to see that it would not take long for the other one-tenth to go at the same ratio. But hope for them lies in the fact that the same God who through his prophets foretold these very conditions, has also foretold through them that he would not permit the utter destruction of his people upon this continent at the hands of the Gentiles. Nephi speaks as follows in 1 Nephi chapter 13, verses 30 through 31. Nevertheless, thou beholdest that the Gentiles who have gone forth out of captivity and had been lifted up by the power of God above all the face of the land, which is choice above all other lands, which is the land that the Lord had covenanted with thy father, that his seed should have it for a land of their inheritance. Wherefore, thou seest that the Lord God will not suffer that the Gentiles will utterly destroy the mixture of thy seed, which are among thy brethren. Neither will he suffer that the Gentiles shall destroy the seed of thy brethren. Redemption through the Gospel What joy must have filled the heart of Nephi as he beheld through the prophetic visions of his mind, after having seen in vision all that was to befall his seed and the seed of his brethren? that the Lord would in time be merciful to the remnant of his seed and that of his brethren, and that notwithstanding all that he would permit to come upon them, he would not permit their total destruction at the hands of their oppressors. And oh, how his heart must have swelled with joy and thanksgiving when he beheld that not only would they not be destroyed, but that the glorious gospel would in time be brought unto them in its fullness, and that of the scant remnant that would be left Many would accept the truth and be redeemed from their fallen condition by it. After centuries of spiritual darkness among them, to see that the light of the true gospel was again to shine in their lives and guide them through paths of truth to life eternal, to behold the grafting in through the fullness of the Gentiles, of the natural branches of the olive tree that should be broken off, as so beautifully spoken of by him in 1 Nephi chapter 15. Behold, I say unto you, that the house of Israel was compared unto an olive tree by the Spirit of the Lord which was in our fathers. And behold, are we not broken off from the house of Israel? Are we not a branch of the house of Israel? And now the thing which our father meaneth concerning the grafting in of the natural branches through the fullness of the Gentiles is, that in the latter days when our seed shall have dwindled in unbelief, yea, for the space of many years and many generations after, the Messiah shall be manifested in body unto the children of men, then shall the fullness of the gospel of the Messiah come unto the Gentiles, and from the Gentiles unto the remnant of our seed, 
And at that day shall the remnant of our seed know that we are of the house of Israel, and that they are the covenant people of the Lord. And they shall know and come to a knowledge of their forefathers, and also to the knowledge of the gospel of their Redeemer, which was ministered unto their fathers by him. Wherefore they shall come to the knowledge of their Redeemer, and the very points of his doctrine, that they may know how to come unto him and be saved. And then at that day will they not rejoice and give praise unto their everlasting God, their rock and their salvation? Yea, at that day will they not receive the strength and nourishment from the true vine? Yea, will they not come unto the true fold of God? Behold, I say unto you, Yea, they shall be remembered again among the house of Israel. They shall be grafted in, being a natural branch of the olive tree, into the true olive tree. And this is what our Father meaneth, and meaneth that it will not come to pass until after they are scattered by the Gentiles. And he meaneth that it shall come by way of the Gentiles, that the Lord may show his power unto the Gentiles. Thank you for listening to the third part of Gospel to the Lamanites by Ray L. Pratt, as published in the Improvement Era, May 1913. Please stay tuned to the final two episodes of this series of the Gospel to the Lamanites by subscribing to our podcast in iTunes or on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.